We are I. Amanda McAlpine. Uh, she's a 40 year old powerhouse of two kids. Uh, this woman is an amazing teacher, coach and a martial arts instructor. She has her black belt in Goju Ru Karate. And we're hoping by June that she also have her black belt in Judo. So obviously everybody can kind of get an understanding how dedicated Amanda is and how much time and effort she's willing to put into improving herself and just leading a good example in life and for her kids. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Great to be here. Great to have you. So why, why don't we kind of just dive right in into the martial arts because martial arts always really intrigues me because um, I find with how short term we think as people now that it's almost ironic that martial arts studios even have people in them still. Right. Because you know, everybody wants immediate gratification. You know, I want this belt right now. Like they don't look yeah. at it as like, I'm going to work at this for the next 10, 15 years. It just yeah. doesn't seem like it fits our culture, but yet martial arts studios are still obviously very busy and popping up all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that because um, I sort of started karate, uh, someone considered to be a bit late. I didn't start as a kid. Um, I was almost 30 and, and it was sort of, I began strength uh, training with a coach and he said, you know, why don't you try, why don't you try martial arts? And I, I started into it and, and kept with it because of how it changed my life and in so many different ways. Um, but initially, you know, when I'm, when I'm out there and I'm practicing and I'm this white belt and I'm looking around and I'm just, it's easy to come up with excuses for, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm a little older or I'm not quite in shape enough to like effectively execute that technique and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, what's the secret? Why, you know, how are people so good at it? And, and it's, it's amazing because, um, you know, by the time, like it took about uh, just over six years to get my, my first degree black belt. And, and when I did that, like probably about a month before it, it really just clicked. It was like, it's time in and, and all those reps, like how, what's the secret to becoming successful in martial arts? It's, it's time in. And actually that gave me hope because when I, you know, when I pick up a bar and I'm trying to do Olympic lift or something, my technique is terrible. I know, okay, it's okay. I just need to figure out the technique and then time in and eventually I'll be able to get it. Um, and, but, you know, as you said, it's, it's not, I mean, maybe there's a few things where you can experience instant gratification, but um, anyone can experience success as long as you're willing to sort of let go of a timeline, I think. And, um, and in many ways, like that's the secret of success is just keep at it, keep at it, bit at a time. And it can be that grind, right? And, you know, and timelines are just, they're, they're something that they're a very big part of our life. You know, like whether or not they're actually verbally communicated or not, like everybody feels under a timeline and the pressure of a timeline and especially for success and, you know, accomplishment. And, you know, like that's to me, like I said, like I, I see the great value in martial arts. I love going to jujitsu myself. I, I value having the patience to just do the same move, like time after time, hour after hour. And that's how I approach jujitsu myself because I go privately is that I will drill just the same move for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, because I just want to feel it. I want to ingrain in that. But 
when I talk to a lot of people about that, they're like, isn't that boring? Like, don't you just want to move on? Don't you want to do something different? And I find that to be like the, the hard association. Like, how, how do you ever coach people or encourage them to have the value in the process? Well, I think it really comes down on so many levels to taking a look inside at why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And, and I think the answer to that question will often help determine how long a person wants to stay with something, right? So, um, you know, if you're drilling that technique and you're, you're there because you want to become better at the skill, then it's going to make it easy for you to make that decision to push through even when it's challenging or, you know, boring or whatever. Right. And I think the why behind what we're doing is crucial to experiencing success. Um, and sometimes it takes a while to figure out that why. And sometimes that why changes over time. Right. Um, I think going back to timelines too, the beauty of the martial arts is that there really is something for somebody at every age, which is like incredible. Right. And, um, but I think again, looking at whatever stage we're in in life and recognizing maybe the why at that stage or that moment will help us determine whether or not we're going to have that like tenacity to keep at it. Has there been moments along the way where you're just like, yeah, like this isn't for me or it's too much or, are you, once you lock on that goal, you put on the gi for the first time, you're like, I'm, I'm black belt all the way. Well, um, so neat. When I first got my shodan in karate, um, it, on so many levels that felt like the beginning for me. Okay. Now, you know, I've learned my vowels and my consonants and I can put a few letters together and now I know how to read and now I can begin to analyze text. Like it's the beginning on so many levels, right. Which sort of took the pressure off maybe, you know, as I, as you know, in jujitsu where I'm just at the very, very beginning and okay, I have a lot to learn before I can, can get there for me. Um, I found judo to be, um, and I started judo towards before I got my shodan in, in, uh, probably been doing about seven years now, maybe. And, um, I found that to be a real challenge in terms of, um, pushing through barriers, um, maybe connected with, okay, I'm starting to feel the pressure of getting older and the break falls are harder and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, I compete actually in judo in both senior and veteran. So senior division is age 16 and up. So a lot of my competitors are about 20 um, and then veteran is 30 and up or 25 and up depending on the division. Right. So, um, and again, there's a lot you can, I don't know. There's a lot you can, say as an older person coming to that and, and okay, I'm fighting these younger people and et cetera, et cetera. And that was, that was one place for sure where I had to dig deep and go, okay, why are you doing this? And like, are you going to keep, are you going to keep it up? And then going back to, yeah, like let's get the reps in, let's get the time in and, and take a closer look at my why. And that helped overcome some of the super hard, like you got to lose a lot of matches before you start to win matches. Well, I did anyways. And, um, yeah, so that was definitely challenging, um, and, and still is, you know, on, on many levels, but I know I'm meant to be on this path. And, uh, so I'm going to keep at it for sure. Do you, when you were, you know, so obviously you compete against, you know, a lot of people are half your age. Like, is that, is that intimidating? Is, Is that something you still factor in or do you use that to your advantage or like, do you see them and be like, okay, well, I can tell you're underestimating me or, you know, like what's the experience behind that? Like, like just share with us what it's like. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think initially, um, it was sort of more when I stepped on the mat and I looked over at this person half my age, and I'm like, she's been training longer than me. Like I'm a brand new, you know, I'm like, I've been at this really long grand scheme. Um, but so that was a little bit more of the, of the factor, but I've, I've done other things that other combative sports, I grew up playing rugby. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of a, of a, of a match. Right. But, um, so initially it was maybe a little intimidating because it can move a bit quicker, et cetera, et cetera. But when, you know, as I gained experience and I jump on the mat, you know, stand a little taller and I'm thinking, okay, well, I've given birth twice. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing I have lived like, I'm like bring it on. And that sort of, um, I did have more confidence afterwards. Um, I think sometimes in training where I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's during the recovery that I feel, um, you know, the aging more. But now when I show up on the mat, it's like, okay, let's go. And age is not a factor. It's just a body, just a body. <laughs> yeah. Just a vehicle, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes with experience and with confidence, right? Where it just becomes less about that person and, um, and more about like, um, okay, actually, you know, really they say, right. We're just fighting ourselves at the end of the day. <laughs> so you um, mentioned, uh, rugby in there. Like how long did you play rugby for? Yeah. So that was sort of what I started. I started in my last year of high school and then played rugby all through university. And, uh, that was incredible. Played club in there as well. So that was probably about, um, six years, six or seven years. And then I coached for a while after that and then switched over to the martial arts. Um, wanted to continue to sort of be competitive, but kind of more on an individual basis. So what, uh, what level did you get to? Did you guys win any like championships? Were you like a good team, mediocre? Like what, what we were amazing. <laughs> um, I attended university of Guelph and actually chose my university based on the rugby team. Um, and I knew they had a solid team. So, um, we ended up winning um, like the nationals in uh, in one of the years and uh, did pretty well the other years. So um, amazing team. I think seven girls from that team went on to be on the national team and just a oh, really wow. incredible group of women that I had the privilege to train with and play with. And it was great. Where did you guys travel? Um, I, you know what, when we, it was actually just, everything happened to be in Ontario in that year. So I didn't get to really travel oh. outside of Ontario. So I didn't actually really get to travel with, with sports until judo. And so with judo, I've been able to travel a bit, but I didn't that's usually one of the best parts about being a student athlete is you kind of get to venture around and, you know, sometimes it doesn't cost you a whole lot of money or like some of it's subsidized, but that's usually one of the best parts. I know. I know it's so true, but everything happened to be in Ontario that year. So yeah. uh, what else besides rugby and martial arts? Has that kind of just been like your main stays or do you have, Little things been um, in and out of. Yeah, that's been my main thing. Um, I did a little bit of um, um, strength training as well, just to supplement things and complement them. Um, and then I was also um, a race director um, for uh, representing a, a school. It was a charity endeavor um, towards our local hospital, and uh, did that for a number of years. So didn't actually um, participate in the runs, but I was the race director, so oversaw the. Um, half marathon and 10 and 5k races so I was into that world for a little while um, yeah but have mostly the martial arts really has taken up most of the time in the last years so with all your sports that you've been into being so physical you know like obviously rugby is pretty brutal I was just at the rugby sevens last night and you know watching these guys I just love it like the testosterone in that stadium just blew my mind it was I love it but um, yeah. just seeing some of the hits are just intense 
Um, then obviously with martial arts, I know a lot of people have been injured over the years. Now, have you sustained any major injuries or have you been relatively unscathed? I, I have in the last, um, in the last year or so. So had like an MCL tear. The most, the worst one was November. So peaked, um, did worlds came back, did Ontario Quebec open and then just the body was, was done and, um, it wasn't taking care of recovery enough. And, uh, I tore my hamstring in two places. So that, um, I'm, that was November, end of November, and I'm just back into it now looking to compete again soon. So what was that like it being like, cause that's pretty late in life to experience your first major injury. And that's pretty significant injury, hamstring in two place MCL. Like that's not an easy one to be able to come back from. Like, how was that? Yeah. Especially now, you know, like, like I said, you'll probably, you know, what you're 38, 39, what happened, yeah. you know, and you know, two kids life, like, what yeah. was the impact? Yeah, it was pretty huge, actually. Um, um, of course, initially, I'm thinking, okay, now what am I going to do? I can't compete in this tournament, can't compete in that tournament. And it took me a little while to actually, like, settle down and just think, like, this is your life, too. Like, you need to make sure this body's going to last till you're 100 or whatever, right? And and um, just to get outside of that, like, okay, like, oh, I can't compete in this tournament now. Now, now what, right? And, and actually like went through a little bit of like a slump where, um, you know, there's still a lot I can do, but just really thinking about like, um, kind of a bit, almost like feeling depressed and like just, um, the self pity that can come in after a time and just feeling like, oh man, like, and, and really trying to dig out of that because it, it, you know, it's a heaviness and it's, it's, it's really super tough because it's, it's not just about not being able to participate in your sport. Now it's, um, you know, just daily life, like driving around and like doing your life and going to work and trying to teach martial arts and, you know, all these things. And, um, and just trying to get a, a fresh perspective and, and not sort of live life. Okay. Well, when this is better, then I can, then I can start living my life, but rather trying to look inward and, and look at self-healing and look at, okay, like, what can I do right now? Cause this is about living my life right now where I'm at. And, um, and that, that was actually really challenging to come out of that injury and, uh, and, and come out with the right sort of heart and mindset to carry forward. And, you know, and it, like, as a lot of people usually deal with that experience, you know, when they're like teenagers, you know, some even before that, uh, or yeah. just like anytime, like in their twenties and like, I've seen that struggle with a lot of people and I've struggled with that myself over the years too. Um, and there's really no, like, there's really no path to walk down or like, like nobody's really two experiences are the same, you know, and the one thing I try to really think of myself, and you know, maybe you could shed some light on this too, is, you know, is it because we're being hard on ourselves because we can't do our sport anymore? So again, you feel like kind of like that, that pity, like I should be in there, you know, like this is something I want to do and I can't, it's just like that loathing and we draw ourselves down. You know, is it the missing endorphins that, you know, we're used to getting in the sense of accomplishment? Like, like what, what do you feel really draws us down that road? Mm -hmm. I think for me anyways, it was, it, it was a bit of all of that. Like I, you know, I felt like first, like almost like angry, like how could I let this happen to myself? Where's where, you know, I lost my focus. I'm, I'm not taking care of my recovery the way I need to. And here I am and I'm learning this hard lesson and, and really try to even look deeper than that at like, okay, well, why did I allow this to happen? Like, why did I, you know, like what's, where's, where's that going? And then, 
also like as we're because I, I do I deal with stress and like all that low stuff by going to the gym, working out, like by releasing it. And when I can't physically anymore, it's like, now what? Right. And, and that's looking towards other things, like looking to meditation, looking to, you know, like even a hot bath or looking to get yourself into the gym and do what you can do in the gym. Right. And moving forward in that way. And I think for me, like, as, as I am, you know, the body's aging and um, I need to take care of the body, but it doesn't heal as quickly as it did when I was 15 or 16 or whatever years old. Right. And so I think really looking at myself honestly and saying, this is where I am like right now in this moment, this is where I'm at. Like, let's move forward from where I'm at and just being really honest about that. And, um, and I think, cause sometimes just in the, you know, I have like sort of a fighter mindset too and jumping back too quickly has also aggravated injuries or compensation issues. And then I, I tweak things again. Right. And it's like, I really need to allow things to heal properly. And I think that's, um, I remember getting like acupuncture and just feeling, Oh, my neck feels great. Like had this like tweaked neck and I had full like range of motion. And, and then he just stuck his finger like right in the spot. And I was like, Oh, and I couldn't move. Right. And, and for me, that was a really good reminder of like, okay, things on the outside might seem good, but like, have you really taken care of stuff? And I think that's, um, that's been really an important learning less like a lesson that I've learned kind of along the way it, through these injuries is um, both just physically like, how are you taking care of the body? What are you doing with nutrition? What are you feeding yourself? And how are you healing? And then also, like, internally, like, even in the soul, right? Like, put your finger on the spot and it's still there. What's the spot? What's the injury? What's really happening here below the surface? And I think those are really important questions, hard ones to ask yourself. But if we really want to have true healing and move forward, we need to look at that stuff. Yeah, and also, do I find you know, because obviously a lot of us are, you know, gravitate more towards like that typical A type personality, like people who really, you know, like they're goal setters, you know, they, they want something. So we tend to look so far down the road, you know, like we, we really forget about like the short term and the medium range goals because like the, we're pushing hard to these big things all the time and injuries break us there. And I find like for myself and the one thing I've noticed with people over the years is that's the challenge is bringing yourself back to that place where you said, it's just about right now. You know, like what can I do right now to be able to overcome this moment? But it is so against the grain of our personality. Like it's it's just like our personality doesn't connect with it. Cause it's just like, I don't give a shit about like right now. Like I'm looking at like, I got all this (laughs) tournament six months and I got this next belt to get. And like, I want to go judo, then jujitsu next. It's like body what's going on. Like let's let's get on the same, let's ramp it back up. And yeah. it's hard to allow ourselves that, that peace that's going to come with saying, okay, well, you know, yes, this five or 10 minute meditation right now is going to help me just, you know, bring me back to this moment or, you know, focusing on this stretching or what are, what are some of the ways that I can eat better to be able to propagate my own success and my own healing, you know, and yeah. bring it back to me and, you know, redirect that focus to something else. Yeah. And I find, you know, like, especially like a lot of us as athletes are saying, okay, well, instead of now it's about like karate or like judo or football or volleyball, you know, Mm -hmm. bring it back like, well, what can I put all that same energy into to be able to keep, you know, like this body of mine, you know, at optimal health, you know, not only for my recovery, but then hopefully I'll gain some tools that when I get back into my sport, 
I'll be that much further ahead for the next time I get injured because we all know it's going to happen again. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's a really big part of it too. I think for, you know, like you were talking about for us, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not hard to tape and go. Like it's not hard to push through sometimes. Sometimes it's harder to hold back and, and no, okay. I'm going to sit this out and instead I'm going to do this over here, which maybe doesn't feel as good initially. Right. Or we can't see the progress as quickly. Um, you know, I might, maybe I'd rather throw some of it even sit and meditate, but I know that like, it's all contributing towards, um, you know, future goals, whatever they may be. Right. But I think, you know, just like you said, one of the biggest lessons I've been learning is what's happening right now. And, and what can I do for optimal everything right now? And how do you bring yourself back to that? Like, how do you, how do you rein yourself in knowing that it's not really entrenched in your personality to organically go back to that point and saying, okay, this is where I'm at right now. Like, do you, do you have any like checks and balances, you know, in place for saying, I recognize the situation is coming, so I need to get back to here. Or is it something that you still leave pretty transient and you're just, when you feel the feeling of like, okay, I need to reel it in. Then at that moment you seize it. I think, unfortunately, I've had to lo- I've had to learn the hard way a little bit. <laughs> in that, like, I'm like, okay, like I feel pretty good. I'm gonna get out onto the mat. I'm gonna tape this, tape that, and like, let's have a go, right? And um, knowing maybe deep down in my heart, okay, you're probably not actually quite ready yet. And so the minute I'm thinking about my knee or my neck or whatever it is, I'm not thinking about my judo. I'm not thinking about my karate. I'm not thinking about whatever it is that I should be thinking about. I'm not focused. And in that moment I lose my focus and that's usually when another injury will happen. And so unfortunately I've had to learn a little bit like, and my experience has been, okay, well look at where you were at, look at what happened. And, and I've had to learn a bit that way. So I'm in a place right now, you know, where body's feeling great. I'm, I'm working on strength, working on balance, coming back in and, and it feels fantastic. And it's, but it's really hard to say, you know what, I'm sitting this round out, like got to rest the leg or whatever. And, but I know that ultimately it's going to be better. Right. So unfortunately I learned that lesson through (laughs) re-injury tweaking things. And um, And there's a lot of people who never really learned that lesson. Like, you know, harboring like a lot of like the eggs to get back in there like it's never okay to be the person sitting on the sideline it's never okay to be the person not like contributing to the team or you know getting out there in that match that should be yours and against that opponent that you've been training this whole time to be able to take down and you know like that's tough for people like us you know or you know and that's why I always you know question people is like share your management strategies because not only do I as an individual need it might help might refine yours but it's giving that insight to other people too and you know knowing like these are all real things that us as athletes like struggle with where it's the Mm -hmm. you know I'm at work but I'd rather be on the mat so like I'm at work but I'd rather be on the mountain you know and dealing with that struggle because that's real all the time for us too it's just like that burning desire to like doing what you're doing back to what you're passionate about yeah you know, and yeah. that's where I think like people who aren't athletes or haven't competed in sports have that really tough time with that connection of why it means so much to people like us. Right. Right. You know, and it's just like, well, like, why is it such a priority? Like, why do you put so much time into it? And, you know, why does it hurt you so much? Or why do you get so depressed if you can't do it? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. not only does it help me become more mentally and emotionally and physically clear of my day, you know, mm-hmm. but there's just this burning desire in me that's just that's not being fulfilled and mm-hmm. that's tough 
you know, we, like I said, we as athletes, we go to every day when we're not injured simply by yeah. not being able to, you know, utilize our resources to go do our yeah. sports. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a part of that too is sometimes shifting our mindset. So, so if I'm, if I'm looking at oh, what I can't do, it just, it feels heavy, right? It's discouraging, depressing. If I look at, okay, what can I do? Then it's, it's a shift, right? So, you know, whether it's like, okay, I'm sitting in this office chair right now, I have to be doing this a, a, B or C like, okay, maybe I'm like stretching my hip while I'm sitting here, like, or whatever, right. I'm mobilizing, I'm moving forward or, or, you know, if I'm okay, I can't be at that tournament and it's killing me, but I'm going to like, I'm going to like watch the heck out of those matches. Matches and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, learn as much as I can about my opponents and, and I'll look at it as a training session. Right. So I'm like, okay, that's what she's da, da, da. like. You can pick it up that way. Um, or, um, you know, even if it's okay, I'm in the gym now and I can't do a B or C, but you know what I can do is I can do this and I'm going to have like killer abs by the time we're done this, you know, like, so there's, I think taking that energy and shifting it into, okay, I can do something all the time. Right even if it's resting and doing nothing and meditating, that's doing something. Right. And so if I feel like I'm somehow contributing towards like the, the direction I'm, I'm moving on the path then um, then I think sometimes it, it really helps us get out of that slump of um, there's nothing I can do. Right? You know, and I, yeah. I think you brought like a really good point where, you know, I'm sure that everybody picked up on it, but like you really started that by saying, there's silver lining in this and, and what is it? And there, there always is, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where I think like all of us on, in team sports have also been encouraged that when you're injured, you know, like you still dress, like you still sit on the bench, like you still come support the team, you know, like be there to show that solidarity for everybody and that, that sense of unity, or even if it is an individual sport, you still go and just support it as a whole, whereas you recognize that it's more than just you and there's more value to be able to get of it, of like soaking in the environment, you know, mm-hmm. still entrenching yourself in there, learning about your opponents, watching other teams, watching your teammates, mm-hmm. you know, but then also on the second part of what you brought up is like kind of where we're at more today. And I feel there's, there's a pendulum shift here, but I think from like a long-term health and wellness perspective, we all kind of need to, slowly nudge more people down the road of that when people look at like going to the gym or you know like losing weight or their fitness goals in general like they are so generic and like they're very like unilateral like this is just the singular thing that I do you know Mm -hmm. but realizing that it's you know this is a strategy like this this life we're living is an overall strategy that has many components where you know like with WRI, like we launched like the consecutive day fitness challenge, you know, challenge people to do something every day mm-hmm. and to think outside the box where I don't want people to go to the gym every day. I don't want mm-hmm. you to run every day. But what I do want you to do is go to the park and play with your kids. You know, mm-hmm. I want you to meditate, stretch, roll, you know, do trigger point work. Yes. Lift weights, you know, you know, maybe try like a, a jujitsu class or a karate intro or, you know, something along those lines mm-hmm. where, it's just something that we do progressively all the time for, you know, movement to the body, you know, movement to the mind, you know, balance, you know, your mental and emotional states and just try new things and like get out there and, you know, find a community that you connect with because all of these things are part of our overall wellness strategy, mm-hmm. you know, or in that's like where you dabble, it's like the, you know, the, the meditation, you know, try it, you know, you might like it or like, mm-hmm read about meditation and all the different types of meditation. Cause I know for me, when I started meditating a couple of years ago, 
and my sister suggested it. I was like, well, you know, I was, I was the same person. I just thought lotus pose, guy in a mountain, you yeah. know, <laughs> 10 days in, no talking, no eating, starving, yeah. thirsty. Like, that's not cool. I'm like, my mind yeah. won't let me do that. Then I started researching meditation. I'm like, that's not really meditation, like, at all. Or, like, it, it's a singular component, but there's so right. much more to it. And right. you know, now the best part about my meditation practice that I really value is I, when I meditate, I do it for two reasons. One, to be able to close the doors of active thought, to be able to help bring clarity to my life. But yeah. also, two, um, I actually try to, like, blow those doors wide open. So I'm like, what am I on a subconscious level, like, manifesting that I just need to, like, get out? Like, what yeah. am I thinking about? Like, what is in there? What's distracting me from being, like, everything that I want to be in my day today? And mm -hmm. I found that, when you can search and pull those and like go with inside your own mind and say, Oh, this is what I'm thinking about, but it's actually a byproduct of this, which is a byproduct. Right. Of you get down to those like root causes where you're like, man, that person did piss me off more than I thought. Or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah, I do want to go, you know, try this new thing. And you kind of explore your mind a little bit more. Yeah. It's led me to so much more freedom, you yeah. know, and it's just, and I feel like that as a huge part of my overall like my recovery because there's just this less static stress in my body. And when right. I'm doing my sports, like I have a lot more of like a clear flow and emotion to it where like, I'm not vested in it one way or the other. I'm just more encapsulated in that moment because there's right. not all these things just floating around in my mind. Right. Like I've, I've got rid of them because I've thought about them, but then I'm also, okay, thoughts done, close that door, bang yeah. the next one and let's do this. So, yeah. um, I'm, I am always really happy to hear, you know, like you guys always bring that up without me bringing the conversation there, that there's right. more people that are just self-aware that it's so much more than just karate or just jujitsu, because especially with martial arts, like people tend to think like, this is all that it's going to be like, I'm not going to do anything else, but karate, or I'm not gonna do anything else, but hockey, you know, but like, mm -hmm. there's, there's so much more to life and so much more to our performance than just that. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And do you find that, um, you know, if you haven't taken the time for yourself through meditation or, or even other recovery methods that things just start to spin or. I, I do absolutely. Yeah. Because I do so many different little things all the time because the one thing that I've really self-identified with is that it's not that I get bored of doing a singular thing. And I used to think that's what it was because that's yeah. the chatter you hear. Like that's yes. what people say. There's like, Oh, I get bored quickly. Okay. Well, I need to move on. I have a short attention span, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm one of those people hundred yeah. percent. But I actually realized, no, I'm not like that. And there's this other way of thinking about it, which is I just like to try new things. Right. So, so I try to nudge it down there. So like sitting in the sauna, for example, or, you know, doing like cold exposure therapy, um, you know, like reading, meditation, you know, I, I paddleboard, I play squash, I run, I outdoor bike, I spin, I lift weights, you know, like yeah. um, I box, you know, like all these different things. And I realized the variety of that is ultimately what I connect with. It's not just right. the one thing. The activity, yeah. Yeah, so like my, my attention span is like the possibilities, Mm -hmm. And you're know, like, that's what I really like it in is because I, I look at it now as like a whole, except for, you know, when I was younger, it was about 
football in football only right. or as well lifting weights and like lifting weights only but now I realized like that was kind of the sky high view like I really need to like understand okay well there's my my health and wellness strategy and my health and wellness as a whole and like where are my tree branches that come off that you mm -hmm. know because you know even like some weeks I may meditate way more and some day some weeks I may meditate less and it actually took you know quite a long time to understand and be at peace with oh well that's okay because sometimes yeah. there just might be more on my mind and it's right. about meditating every day you know and that's the one thing that when I was researching meditation and like it was kind of the commonality behind everything well you do have the time to be able to do a five minute meditation every day or a 10 minute meditation. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I also do all these other things that take that five or 10 minutes or that half an hour, that hour, like the hour of driving to get to the hour long thing I'm going to do, you know, like just all these kind of things. But so I realized again, like, you know, professionally, we're not being very socially responsible in, in the messages that we're communicating because, you know, all professionals, their singular thing is the most important you know you go to physio and it's like this is the most important you go to a chiropractor this is the most important you go to a personal trainer this is the yeah. most important you go to yeah. cardi this is the most important <laughs> but realizing that okay well you know if we look at it more as like a journey like like you said you know is it 80 i'm living to is it 90 is it 100 like where am i living to and the strategy is to get to that pine box successfully till the day that you end up in it you know and mm -hmm. that's where i've started to look at it is that okay, well, yeah, like some weeks it is more meditation, some weeks it is more spin, some weeks it is more lifting weights. Like I want to try to lose the control over that facet and just get more into like my bigger picture is, is that I want to have like a great life until the day that I die. And I want to have fun with yeah. it. And, you know, my mom, unfortunately, like when she passed away, she fell into that category now that, you know, she just retired you know, like within that first year of retirement, you know, she ends up passing away. And I'm like, you know, it's just such a common story now. And it's so hard for me. Like it, it just, it breaks me as a human being to think that my mom's not here anymore, but it hurts even more realizing that she just didn't get to experience anything past the point of mm -hmm. everything that she worked so hard to achieve. Mm -hmm. you know, she has to like this point, it's like, these are the things that kind of help refine me down this path of saying it's got to be something bigger than just like this judo tournament or you know like this jujitsu you know Absolutely. match or like something like that like how can we just incorporate all of these things um yeah. and that's where i really started to notice like you know every time i talk to somebody they're passionate about their one thing but i never really found people who are passionate about everything like as a whole and that's where i find that i want to nudge people more down because I realize why that is, is because it all comes down to like financial vested interest. Like I need you to be passionate about my singular thing that I'm mm -hmm. selling you because I need you to buy what I have. Mm -hmm. you no, know, but again, that has nothing to do with your health and wellness. That's right. like, you know, my personal financial gain realistic, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's where like, you know, if we, if everybody just kind of has a little bit more of a global concept and, there's like people shift and they go in ebbs and flows and, you know, where, you know, you might influence 20 people this month. It might be 80 people next month and five mm -hmm. people. A month. And like having some peace in that and knowing that we shouldn't imprison people into these boxes of saying that this is what, this is where you're going to get your health and wellness from. Like this mm -hmm. is like, 
meditation is going to be, you know, like your avenue for clarity. It's like, well, it's one of them for me. But I also know just going outside on a nice day, closing my eyes and looking at the sun also brings me back Mm -hmm. to a place of homeostasis as well. You know, or, you know, like walking in in nature by myself or like with my girls or, you know, just even like with a friend, you may be talking, may not be talking, but just reconnecting with that or paddling out into the ocean on my paddleboard, just sitting on it. You know, these are all things that bring, you know, great health and wellness to me too. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again, we need, I think, more people to talk about that. You know, like we're, mm-hmm. it's all of these chip aways. Mm-hmm. It's not just that one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, even going back to when we were talking about injuries and, and being so like narrowly focused, if, if I felt like my health and wellness could only come from like, you know, having these high intensity judo practices, then man, that's going to be like a really disappointing rest of my life, right? When I'm just like, you know, if I have this injury, but rather if I can, you know, experience whatever that that is, that's making me feel alive, um, in these other, in these other places, then yeah, it's going to be much more, um, balanced and, and whole, right. And fulfilling on so many levels. Yeah. I think that's a really important piece, um, that can be so easily missed. Like, and again, using the gym as a, as a great example of, okay, like I'm going to go in and I have to lift like all this heavy weight and just so focused on like, you know, lifting, 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 and then I walk away. Right. And, um, and then what, right. And, and where, you know, just playing, like playing in the park, playing. And that's one, one thing I love about, you know, sometimes in the martial arts, when we just like play a totally random game. That's like, yeah, it has like movement patterns that are con- going to contribute positively to, you know, whatever it is that we do, but it just, it gives opportunity to have like a lighter connection with people and it's, and it's play and it's movement and it's, um, and it's fun. Right. And, and being able to, have that balance in the space is so important and try other things and, and sometimes walk away completely from what it is that you're doing, like you said, right. And, and find that experience in, in other activities. Um, yeah. So great. So great. Yeah. And you know, it's the, like, do you, do you feel like just based in the environment that you're in and you're, you're, you know, being a teacher, being a coach, you know, a martial arts instructor, like, do you feel that shift? Like, do you think that people, like they still kind of really like identify with like a singular aspect or like, is it something that you guys promote? Like, do you, do you promote like multifaceted health and wellness? Is it something you guys have thought about at your, um, you know, at your martial arts studio or like what, what's your guys's goal there with your, your members and your clients? Yeah, a hundred percent. So um, I actually work for an organization called Tri-City Training and we offer karate, Olympic freestyle wrestling and strength training. And our tagline is building a lifestyle. And so, you know, we, we want to offer something for all ages, recreational or competitive, because that's what it's just about. It's about, um, yeah, it's about building a lifestyle that's, that's, that's holistic. So focusing on whether it's focusing on, um, you know, strength and um, flexibility or whether it's focusing on martial arts or whether it's focusing on learning how to meditate or whether it's like a three-year-old just running around having play. Um, It's really important to us that we look at the whole person and all aspects of that person because that, you know, looking at what they need and helping them have an experience where it, it can be a lifestyle that they can on their own also, um, prolong and, and, um, 
experience health and wellness and balance, right? So do you do you guys feel like that that people are very receptive of that message? Like, you know, when they're kind of looking at it more as like an expansive whole, like are like when you're dealing with, you know, clients and, you know, members and students in a in a one on one environment, you guys are coaching them to have like this this concept that you're looking at where it's multifaceted and there's lots of elements to your success. Are people receptive of that message or is it something that you you have to kind of coach them down the road to be able to retrain the way that they perceive like their health and wellness? Yeah, I, th- I think um, many are right, right off the bat, you know, especially if we have a relationship with them already and they can kind of see that, you know what, it's, it's about the whole person, right? We, we don't want injuries. We want to make sure that everyone has like a solid base before moving forward. Um, you're not going to do strength if you're not doing flexibility. Like there's a real um, sort of emphasis that way. Um, I think sometimes people come in with, with an emotional um, need of some kind and, and they might not realize initially, right? Like I remember, I don't know, maybe like 20 years ago um, approaching a coach and I was like, I just need a program for my arms. Like I'm, you know, I'm in this big event and I'm wearing this great shirt and, you know, I need a program to like have these awesome arms. Right. And it was like, I have to laugh looking back at that. Right. And he's like, okay, okay. So what are we really dealing with here? And, um, and so I think sometimes we come in, you know, thinking that we need this one thing and really um, our hope is that we can offer, um, more than that for people um and and i think after they've had experience with us they're they're able to see yeah there's there's more to this right now so you you brought up that people aren't going to do like strength training unless they do the flexibility work and the mobility work um can you expand upon that like is that a part of like your role there like that you you understand because like those are the things that i like to be able to pick out about places because you know those are the differences between, you know, like good places that I want people to be educated about a place where they're going to go because that's progressive. Like this is where we know where we should be going with people and how we should be educating them. Um, can you just expand a little bit of like the process that you guys go sure. through? Yeah, a hundred percent. So I'm going to use myself as an example. So, um, uh, you know, just so coming off this hamstring injury, right? Like emotionally, I just want to jump into the gym and I just want to lift some stuff and da da da. Um, but uh, I know that that's not necessarily going to contribute towards where I really want to go down the road. So, um, t- typical session, I'm going to have a really good warm up, um, and then I'm going to do some control drills. So I'm going to do some, um, you know, no load, slow exercises um, before I even think about um, lifting. And in fact, so my my strength training program right now is it really has very few weights in it and it's a lot of um, body weight exercises I'm going to move towards like some, um, more it's it's all stability and control and I'm going to move into some general strength and and then after you know eight 12 weeks then I can look to, to loading more but every single training program every single um, training session is going to incorporate all of those mobility um factors um, into every training session and then the macro training session is also going to work towards um, being able to add load um, we're not going to load anything until the body's ready to do that because injury prevention is number one and um, and again if, if I don't have the range of motion or the flexibility um, and then I try to add load then again I'm just looking to have you know, injure myself again so it's really about preparing the body um, or that before I just jump into, you know, 
that emotional need to add the weights and et cetera. Right. So. And that's like, I always challenge people with, with the concept when I'm training them too, is that, you know, if you can't efficiently and effectively move your own body at the weight that it currently is at, then why would you make that load heavier? Like what, what is really the point behind that? You know, like if you can't successfully do, you know, like 15 push-ups, like why do bench press? You know, like, like what what would be the point? Like, you know, like this is just your body. And when you're doing a push-up, it's only 40% of your maximum weighted value anyway. Yeah. You know, so like, what would be the point of progressing past that? And that's where I think, you know, peeling those onion skins back and saying, okay, well, you know, yes. Can you do a body weight squat, but how low are you going? Are you, are you hamstrings to calves? You know, like, <laughs> does that feel free? You know, yeah. is it okay for your body to go down that lower? Does right. it feel like a struggle? Are you, are you, are you hip tucking is your shoulders, you know, feel yeah. tight, you know, are you heel lifting? Like what are all these things that are happening, you know, in that range of motion? And then, so like what you throw a big heavy barbell on your back and just to feel like a beast. But again, when you're looking at it from injury prevention and overall wellness, these are the things where I feel like we, again, like the professional responsibility is saying, these are the minimum requirements to be able to get to stage two mm-hmm. and always dipping back to stage one and saying, are we still there? Like, yeah. you know, what you're doing, is it still, you know, manifesting that mobility and that flexibility in your body? Or do we kind of need to tone this down? You know, yeah. especially when your sport is, not lifting weights, you know, like where your sport is, you know, karate and jujitsu, and this is where your performance is. And anything that you should do in the gym should never hinder you from your sport. It should always complement it. Like you should never be sore. You should never be injured because it is there is like, you know, like the icing on your judo cake. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't want to go into judo and be like, well, I can't get into these, you know, positions because my chest is so tight from this push ups and bench press I did because yeah. then is you're, you're not an effective tool anymore. Yeah, you're actually training yourself for your sport. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I think, you know, earlier when we were talking about just recognizing this is where I'm at and as humbling as it is, I don't think we can really move forward until we acknowledge, Hey, this is where I'm at. Right. And I think, you know, yeah, like tight calves and it's a kind of a natural thing that happens when you're on the balls of your feet moving around a judo mat. Right. And so, yeah, is my squat affected? Yes. So do I need to work some stuff out before I can add like weight? Yes. Right. And otherwise, like you said, it's going to be, I'm going to be injured. And I think it's, it's really, it's a hugely important thing, but it is, it's like, it's a pride, right? What, what do you, what's making you want to like load the bar? Well, the ego, right? Exactly, exactly. And the ego, and I think it's also, too, like, the, the not knowing any better. You know, like, you know, no matter what our demographic is now, whether you're, you're 10, 20, 30, 40, or 80, like, we are all still a byproduct of this certain, this certain mentality where, like, that's all that it really is. And yeah. it'll, be, it'll be refreshing when that changes. Like, you know, going into a gym isn't like, you know, I just have to put weight on this bar and move it or move it and you know like I try to grunt and groan and spit on the mirror a few times and you know like it it's nice that if in a circumstance that when you need that it's there you yeah. know but like the doors to possibilities of overall body control you know body movement you know free mobility like it comes in so many different fashions and there's so okay. many different faces that can be yeah. painted on that right yeah and it's not always about go 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 right like this boot camp mentality isn't always the best yeah. Place, right? So, 
And you know, yeah. And if that's like, if you, when you go to boot camp, if that's your one time where like you explore that, go, 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 then that's fine. But if yeah. that's your only time that like you work right. out and that's all that it ever is, it's like, yeah, no, you don't want that because there is the benefit of like, how does this feel? And you know, when I'm training people and I give them like these tiny little subtle cues about turn this pinky up or, you know, move this hand position that way, or, you know, move this knee like this. And like, well, how do you know how that's going to feel in my body? It's like, because for over a year, and that's probably about 10 years ago now, like I spent the entire year just training with my eyes closed and I can't even remember now why that it worked out to be or why, how I came up with that, like mentality, like this is something that I need to do. But it really allowed me to be able to connect with everything a little bit more and having that, that, that slower aspect. Like, how does this feel? Like, okay, if I'm doing this, you know, shoulder press with these dumbbells, if when I move this elbow or I pull these elbows back or I turn this hand in, like, what does that actually change? You know, we're like approach it a little bit more from an educational standpoint. And uh, now I, because I've done that, I recognize the benefit and I can educate other people with that. Um, half of my jujitsu session every time is eyes closed. Like it's always just like really try to yeah. focus it and feel I'm like, yeah. how do I feel this other person's body moving? You know, like how's my body moving across theirs? You know, like how does it feel when I'm sliding, you know, my forearms across each other? You know, like just, yes. I, I need to experience that because I feel yeah. like I learn it at such a deeper level where then the understanding is just there. And you know, like neurologically, that's the place I go back to, to be able to call upon those resources. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you bring that up too, because it's funny. That's how I actually, that's how I learned judo at first, right? Kind of like textbook style where you can put your foot here, put your hand there, turn this way, do this. And, um, um, and, and, you know, in, in that, in that moment, like it's, it's hard enough to throw a willing standing still person, let alone a moving person who's also trying to throw you. Right. And, but it's not until you get into those situations and same thing, right. Where I close my eyes and I'm like, okay, where, where's the body moving? What, what's actually happening? What happens when I put, put my foot here? What happens when I, Oh, that's, that's what happens. And I'm on my back. Right. So like, <laughs> you know, like experiencing it. Um, and like you did the lifting for that whole that time period where, yeah, there's value in like learning out of the textbook and doing things like a certain way all the time. But I think that if we really want to be able to transfer those skills and understand how they're really working, um, yeah, you have to be able to take the risk to be able to like fight with your eyes closed, like you were, or et cetera. Right. So so being like a teacher, like in a classroom, but also like, you know, like a teacher in martial arts and a, an athlete herself, no matter the type of personality that individuals have, do you feel as though that the, the value and the benefit is always just doing like, just like getting it, just like uh, actually like experiencing it versus just being like being shared concepts. Absolutely. And, um, this is, this is something I, I have to say, like, um, in the last number of years through martial arts, I've really actually changed kind of my teaching style. And I felt a lot more comfortable when I was first learning. I wanted somebody to stand right over me, say, put your hand here, put your foot there, do this, do this. And then this will happen. Right. And, and that felt comfortable for me. And, and that's how I first learned a lot of things. But then when I tried to apply them in sort of real, not real life, but match situations, et cetera. And it didn't work. And, you know, I started getting frustrated because I hadn't really made it my own. I hadn't really 
I hadn't really physically explored it. I hadn't learned how to execute the move really. Um, and so um, when I, and I'm, I'm still in this process, right? It's a continual learning thing where I'm, where I'm just like, okay, well, what happens when I do this? Okay, pull this way, pull that, and you can execute the throw. What I find in the classroom or when I'm teaching martial arts, it's almost like I want somebody to try to, to try it first and then you can tweak it. Um, but again, it's, it's scary for people. A lot of people just want to, okay, how do I do it? Step one, step two, step three. Um, but on so many levels, it's, it's kind of like, just try it, just go with it, experience what it feels like. Um, you know, even because I'll teach English too in the classroom, right? So it's like, okay, try, you know, write this, write, write the argument first and then, and explore it. And then, and then let's see how we can tweak it. Um, yeah, I'm a huge believer in experiential learning. I think it's so important. Yeah. And do you, I've really found this with myself and, you know, just different coaching environments that I've been in over the years that, um, like people thoroughly connecting with the experience of learning through failure versus the experience of learning through success. Do you understand what I mean by that? Absolutely. It's like the standing over top of you. It's like, I'm going to take your arm, you know, and from the hips, I'm going to turn out here as I punch, you know, like, but if it's like, yeah, mess that up, like, punch somebody wrong, hurt your thumb, hurt your wrist, you know, bang yeah. your elbow. Like I understand why all those things suck, you know, to be like, this is why I want to do it versus like, this is just yeah. how you do it. Like, do you, do you find that people connect like that a lot more? Absolutely. Um, and it, it's kind of funny because again, I'll, I'll often teach from my own experiences. So I'm, I'm doing judo with this big, huge, like 270 pound man. And I, I, uh, it doesn't matter really what I was doing, but I had my foot in, in the wrong place and my body weight where it was. So he'd sweep me and then I'd get up again. I'd, you know, fight it out. I put my foot in the exact same place. I think he literally threw me like eight times in a row before I'm like, don't put your foot there. You know, it's that whole <laughs> idea. Right. So I'll see kids kind of do the same thing. And, and as long as they're not like hurting themselves, like, uh, you know, obviously I don't want anybody to really injure themselves, but um, but yeah, sometimes you, you have to make the mistakes. Like I've lost so many matches over the years, but that's, I've learned from each one. Right. Like, and I think that's where I'll, I'll learn. I don't actually really remember the matches that I won, um, to the same extent. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, yeah, it's emotionally painful to like <laughs> drive across the country and then, you know, have these matches and lose and come home and <laughs> this whole experience. But um, what I've learned from those matches, um, every, you know, say loss is, is really not a loss. Right. And um, same with, you know, it, it's funny because in jujitsu too, right. Taking a double leg and um, getting choked out right away. Oh yeah. Your head's not up. And like I, for myself, I have to learn, you know, the hard way sometimes, but um, you better believe the next time it's not going to happen in the same way. Yeah. And I find that to be the one thing with jujitsu too, is that the mistakes that you make are immediately apparent. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, this is not bad to like, I'm passing out, you know, like, <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. Okay. My elbows in excruciating pain. Like it's yeah. just, it is immediate. Like your consequences are immediate, but I feel like it's amazing life transfers because life can yeah. be that same way. You know, where sometimes like adversity doesn't manifest over a year or five years or 10, like sometimes like adversity is like, you know, you go to work and your life changes or you wake up one day and your life changes, you know, like it, it can be that dramatic. And I really feel like going to jujitsu conditions you out 
you know, and I'm sure a lot of martial arts are like this. I only know it from a jujitsu standpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like they're immediately apparent and that's the part that I value like the most and that I take away from it. And then, you know, recognizing that like, I need to make this change. Like what it's the same thing, like what you said, you put your foot there in like eight different times, but you never thought of it that it's the other person's fault. They shouldn't be doing that. Or it was like, you're like, okay, Amanda, I need to stop doing this. Like taking the right. personal accountability for continually making the same mistake and making a fundamental change. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It's, you know, I can only ever look at myself, right? It's never, never the opponent. In fact, when I'm ever watching like um, match footage, it's always about like, what am I doing? How can I improve? Right. It's never about the end of the day. We're really just fighting ourselves. Right. Um, it's interesting. I think one of the things in hearing you talk about jujitsu too, is um, how, how effective it can be if we become comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, I think we live in a society where being comfortable is, is so wonderful. And when we're in an uncomfortable situation, it's just like this panic can happen. And I think, you know, you talk about jujitsu, right? You're in this position and it's like, okay, just, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And um, again, I remember somebody once told me, yeah, just practice having cold showers or making yourself uncomfortable. And, and that can transfer positively into other aspects of your life. Um, and, and I think that's one thing that one of the many wonderful things that comes out of martial arts, right. Is where it's like, okay, this is really uncomfortable. Um, but that's okay. And moving forward, um, with that. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my good friends, Joanna, and she was, and the one thing I was saying to her is that I, I really feel like the more that we have, um, like this expectation of consistency in life where, I walk into this place and it's 68 to 72 degrees, you know, like I need my you know car to be warm. I need every stair to be a seven and a quarter inches. It really robs us of all the adversity in life. And, you know, we as a species thrive on adversity or if we didn't, we would never be here today. Like if we thrived in comfortable environments, we'd be dead because there's never been a point in time in our life, you know, and especially now too, that we're, life has been comfortable or like there's no adversity attached to it. So, you know, like I really feel like going through some kind of like adversity training, you know, in school would be critical to kids where it like it's, they go through, you know, maybe like a program where it's just like real problem solving, like really like understanding, you know, cause in BC, like we have these, um, like open air classrooms, like outdoor classrooms now where mm -hmm. it can be cold, it can be raining, it can be miserable, but you're always outside. And I started thinking about it, you know, yeah, like the adversity that that would bring, like the uncomfortableness and how then you'd be so much more comfortable in life mm -hmm. after that. I think like just even going through a year of having an outdoor classroom can provide some adversity training mm -hmm. of like, you know, waking up in the morning, be like, I don't want to go be in a classroom outside for eight hours say but you know you get your rain gear on and your boots and you go outside and it's cold and it sucks and but like yeah. there'd be so much value in that like 100%. like what do you think from like a teaching standpoint and you know understanding there's not very there's not a lot of adversity for most children now like like would you see value in something like that absolutely like a hundred percent right one of my favorite um 
quotations is without contraries is no progression by William Blake. And so the same idea, right? And um, I see, we actually had the incredible opportunity of being able to um, introduce and implement a martial arts for credit course in the high school where I teach. And so it's so cool to see the kids from, you know, day one to the last and, and we'll, we'll sort of put them in little position, like little moments of, um, places where they'll feel uncomfortable for sure. Right. So whether it's they're in stays at the beginning of the class and we keep them in stays for a really long time and, you know, things like that, right. To the point where at the end of the semester, they're, they're throwing and they're full on contact and it's uncomfortable to be hit or thrown and get back up and, 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 you know, what's underneath where's that fight like how are you going to get through that um it's it's a little bit more difficult in some ways to transfer that um into the english classroom sometimes but little exercises where i say okay like no you know no electronic devices like you're only going to use this piece of paper now let's talk about this and where they're really challenged and it's very uncomfortable and um you know just i think that people need to feel uncomfortable in order to be able to build resilience and to be able to have that fighting spirit come out. Right. Um, I think if, if we protect and hover around our kids all the time, they're not going to learn to take risks. They're not going to learn to push through hard times. And I think that it's, it's crucial for survival. I think it's, it's so important to be able to implement that somehow. And um, I would like to see more of that in the classroom. Yes. And you know, like when, one thing that I've really noticed with a, a lot of people now, whether it's youth or adults, is people mistaking topical discomfort for actual real discomfort in adversity. You know, where like like you were saying, like getting thrown to a mat. Well, that that's topical discomfort. It like, is. You might have like a little bit of a bruise. You might have like a little bit yeah. of blunt force impact. It may not be like the best case scenario. You might not enjoy it, but like that's not really it's not real like adversity, right? You know, like where we're like talking about like something where, you know, it, it rocks you or there's a huge change of circumstances or like it, it, from that moment on, it completely changes like the course of your life. And it used to be like a parent, like every day. And, you know, where I see the wheels really coming off the bus and I don't know how aware you are of some of these things that um, I find it to be from, the society that we live in and it kind of shows the detriment of to our children and the path we're walking them down that the state of Utah was the first state in the United States that actually passed a bill um, called the free range children's act. I believe free range children's bill or free range children's act. I don't know. I'm, I probably got wrong, but like that's the core of it. And the basis is because so many people were calling family services and the police on other families because their children were like walking to the park when they were six or seven or eight years old, you know, just like interfering, like helicopter parents, like interfering with other parents, raising their children in an environment that should actually be, you know, like a positive environment for them to be into learning, you know, risk management, sense of direction, you know, like having that confidence, and those skills like on their own. And we robbed them and that we robbed them from our own kids, but now other people have taken it upon themselves to take that away from us as well. Like, mm -hmm. what do you think about like our, our society heading in the direction where government has to step in and say like, look, we need parents to be parents and where we're going saying a little crazy. So now we're going to make it laws saying you can comfortably raise your children without fear of prosecution because our world here is actually not that unsafe. 
I know everybody mm-hmm. wants to feel like their child is going to be that one that's going to get kidnapped or something bad that's going to happen. But when you look at percentages, um, I can't remember what the actual statistic was, but if you, in one of our neighborhoods in like Western culture, if you leave your child in the car and go into the grocery store for 10 minutes, it would take like 30,000 years for them to actually be taken from your car. Like that's realistically how safe our, our environments are. Right. Yeah. Obviously there's exceptions to the rule. And, you know, I may have got like the number wrong, but like, the, the point is like, it is, the number is so absurd, but we mm-hmm. want it to be like, okay, well that 10 minutes, anything's going to happen in that to the car is going to set on fire. The car is going to go rolling away. Somebody's going to steal my child, but like we prevent them from understanding like risk management and growth and adversity. And like, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, kind of like walking out when I was young and being like, Oh shit, like, how do I get back home? Yeah, you got to kind of like figure those things out or, you know, like, okay, you know, like this uncharted territory for me, was it two blocks down and one block yeah. over? Was it three blocks? And then you're walking, you're like, oh, I remember that house. Okay. Oh, there's my place. Okay. Yeah. This is where I'm going to go. Like, and that sense of accomplishment that that's brought, like, like, what, what do you feel about that, that landscape that we've created as parents? I think, um, I think it's sad. I think it's, you know, of course there's that, that element of, um, you know, due diligence and take care of your kids and all of those things. But I think it's so important to, um, allow our children to take risks and, um, and, and that's how they learn and that's how they build confidence. And I remember, um, my son's granny, um, gave him a barbecue for his 10th birthday and, and just thinking like, oh my gosh, okay, I need to go into the house literally and just let him like light the thing and cook what he's going to cook. And I can't watch like, cause otherwise I'm going to hover and it's going to be terrible. But, <laughs> but I, but I think it's, like, it's so great. Cause now he's, you know, he's 14 and he can cook like he's an incredible, he's an amazing chef and all of these things. Right. But I think, you know, even the playground situation, you can see the parents and they'll hover and don't fall and all this. And yeah, of course there's, there's that element, but I think we're losing, allowing our kids to take risks. You look at the high school curriculum now for phys ed and in Ontario anyways, and okay, no cartwheels anymore and none of this tumbling. And I'm just thinking like how, you know, we're taking away mobility where, where is the risk again? And, um, and well, even strengthening your muscles in your bones. And like you said, like the mobility to your, your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, and you know, like our bones get stronger when they're challenged. Like when, you know, right. like a bone feels like it's weaker, it's going to break, it'll actually get stronger. So, you know, yeah. again, like, yeah, like if we're not put in those environments, how is it ever going to happen? And, you know, I always come back to that. If, if we were that breakable, like we would have never made it this far nor yeah. like anything else. And like, we're no more special than, you know, a whale or a cheetah or a fish or like whatever you want it to be. Like if, if everything was that breakable, if life was that breakable, yeah. everything would be dead. Like there, yeah. there would be nothing. Yeah. There's a fantastic um, summer camp um, about an hour and a half away from me in, in near London, Ontario. And basically the, the camp counselors kind of like surround this um, acreage in this forest and the kids just play. There's no rules. It's just like mud, dirt, creeks, climb trees and just play. And, um, and they're filthy at the end. And, you know, the counselors kind of like are, are off at a distance. They're not hovering, like making sure nobody falls out of 
you know, whatever. But um, it's, you know, my nephew and niece experienced it. It's such a, an incredible, just free play. And, and I'd like to see more of that. Why does it have to be a summer camp? Why can't we just like, why can't the kids just go down the street to the forest and, and play, you know, on so many levels the way we did as kids. And isn't that um, unfortunate though? Like it goes back I feel as though that it is exactly the same concept as government having to step in and say, look, parents who want to be parents and allow their children just to be children, that we have to create these laws and these systems for you to be able to do that is the same like existential fact of having to create a summer camp to it become like yeah. culturally appropriate yeah. for your yes. kids to play. Like, that's right. wrong. Like That's just yeah. not okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the same way, just allowing our kids to fail, right? Whatever fail means, quote unquote, um, where, you know, even in the education system, kids are just pushed through, pushed through, pushed through. Um, and, and you don't see that to the same extent in martial arts. Like if, if you show up and, and that's it, like you're not, you're not ready, you, you won't be graded forward. You won't, you won't pass the next grading. And, and that whole concept of like, oh yeah, like I could fail this, like, um, yeah, sometimes that's how we're going to learn best, right? Like we talked about earlier, like a lot of the time in the same way, you know, and I always bring it back to the martial arts. Cause for me, it's not just about the martial arts as, as incredible as they are. It's, it's, there's so many parallels in life. Right. And, and if you're going to execute like a beautiful, perfect throw free pawn, you have to risk everything. And you're most vulnerable when you're risking everything to throw. You can't do sort of a half-assed throw and get a perfect, like execute it perfectly. You have to risk everything. And when you take that risk, you are as equally able to be thrown and countered, right? And that's when you're most vulnerable is when you're taking that risk. But like when you execute it effectively and it all comes together, like that's when the confidence is going to be built. Like you said, you know, walking is it two blocks? Is it one block? Well, next time you'll know, right? And I think there's so many just basic life lessons that I think um, our kids don't get to experience because we don't allow them the opportunity in so many ways. Yeah. It, so being like a, a teacher, a mom, and an athlete, I feel like you're a perfect person to field this question. And I'm probably going to throw you under the bus with it. But um, <laughs> how do you feel about participation ribbons? And oh, so hold on. I'll actually clarify that. <laughs> Off the Partici record? Yeah, participation ribbons that replace like the first, second, third, or like the gold, silver, bronze, you know, model, not the participation ribbons that um, are there that everybody just gets because it's like an event t shirt or like an event medal. I'm talking specifically about the ones that replace, you know, like a hierarchy of accomplishment. Yeah. I'm going to, I think as a young child, um, I'm going to go back to my mom. She always used to say to us, you need to learn how to win graciously and you need to learn how to lose graciously. Sports and I think that if we take away the opportunity for our kids to win and lose, I think that we're taking away opportunity for learning on so many levels. And can humility be understood if there's no hierarchy of accomplishment? You know, like where if you look at like the compassion, like the sportsmanship of like, yes, I won, but I can also, you know, be a good sportsman. I can be humble about it. Like I, I can take that knowing that, you know, 
and I can help somebody else because I know how I got here and connect with them on that level. Like, do you, because I think there's a certain aspect of humility that comes from sports that when you win, you connect with it in an entirely different level. I think so for sure. And I think like, I'd like to hope that, you know, with anybody that I coach and with any students or kids that I have impact on that I can coach towards character. Um, Cause that's more important to me than anything else. And being on a podium, who cares if you don't have good character. Right. Um, and I think that in terms of humility, um, yeah, I think I'm going back to what my mom said. I think that you, you need to learn how to win graciously and lose graciously. I think both of those positions are important to experience. Um, and I think that in winning, um, yeah, there's, there's a huge sort of, um, feeling that I have anyways to kind of give back and to help out and to, um, you know, to move forward that way. But Yeah in terms of participation ribbons replacing um for second and third again i think it's important to emphasize the importance of kids who are just showing up these days i think kids coming to a tournament and participating in a tournament and um you know i think that's a big deal and and both you know in in the race that i was a race director for and and we also run this big charity tournament and my own experience as an athlete i think um it's got to be about more than the medal. I hope um, there's, there's a lot of people who just want a participation medal. And again, it comes back to that question of like, why are we doing what we're doing? Um, and I think, I think on, on many, in many ways it's good to have sort of, okay, like you're first this time. <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> and the thing, like it, it, it comes down to why is it more important or why do we value this the overall sense and feeling that a person gets from getting a participation ribbon or medal. Why is that of a higher value than the same feeling that the person gets that has worked harder or maybe say they haven't even worked harder, but they really, really value that first place or second place or third place equally is the same as what that person values the participation ribbon. But like, why, why is it okay to take one away from one person and not the other from the other one, like getting more into like rewarding, like mediocrity and saying, okay, well, you know, yes, like you should get something like an acknowledgement for you coming out a hundred percent, you know, but that also shouldn't devalue, you know, like people who are also like willing to work harder, like striving for like a little bit more, you know, and you don't have to over leverage that first place or second place or third place. But, you know, when you're around people who are working harder, like, like any athlete knows, like if you play basketball and, you know, you don't get better by playing with kids who are like the same skill level or worse than you, like you go subject yourself or like you're the worst player on the team to be able to advance your skill. That's how you get better. And that's life, you know, mm -hmm. but if all those systems were gone where it wasn't really like of any importance to, to do, like, I just, again, it comes down to like, why, why rewarding mediocrity when we as a species don't even connect with that? Again, if we did, we wouldn't be here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, and even again, speaking from my own experience, like if, you know, I had some of the best matches I've ever had in my entire life, like, um, had the opportunity to the veteran worlds in, um, end of October 
and and it was amazing like best fighting I've ever done and um, I walked away from there really proud of what I had accomplished it was around Robin so I ended up fourth um, and no medal then right but man it's driving me like I'm hungry like I need to do better there's you know and and I think that if if that wasn't there um, great great good pat on the back you showed up congratulations right and now what and I think sometimes having that um, does drive us forward to excellence in many ways right and but then again looking at it okay I've, got, I've had the first and then what right I've got the gold medal and now what and and also asking like what's driving you and, and continuing to improve regardless of where you fall on that spectrum right but see like and then and then now what was what I see is like you know you got your black belt in karate and then the now what is judo you know then the now what is like you know bjj you know like like that's where you kind of get to level it because like, you're like, yes, I've been rewarded for all my hard work. I've met this apex. I'm going to move on because, you know, I look at it and I had this conversation with somebody the other day. How long do you think it would take for athletic arenas to no longer exist if everything just became mediocrity? Like there was no system in place for excellence. Like, would it be five years before nobody really cared anymore? Or would it be 10? Or would it be 15? Mm-hmm. You know, because, or does it just quickly go back to the system that we know that works? Because we have fire for a reason. You know, like, we right. have a wheel for a reason. You know, like we yeah, fly absolutely. to the International Space Station for a reason. Like, there's a core part of us is a species of, like, we need to competitively work for more. That's the only reason why we have everything that we have today. You know, but if you try to decondition people out of that mentality, like where do the wheels on that bus come just horribly off? Yes. Or like, you know, when, when is it that just nobody cares anymore and what mental health issues stem from that? Because it's like, there's obviously a physical health like component to it, but the mental health issues that would come from that would be tenfold to any physical health issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, and why are we so, you know, oh, we don't want to hurt everyone's feelings that they didn't get first place. Well, like, go back to the practice room. Like what, you know, I think we're, we're missing a huge, a huge piece there and, and trying to protect these three or four year olds. Well, they probably don't care about it as much as, as we care about it. Right. They're just happy to like run around and and do their thing. Right. But I think that um, if we take away that opportunity for them to compete, um, it's unnatural. It goes, like you said, it's against our human innate, or at least mine, like our, that's what compels us to excellence. That's what, like you said, um, we, we're creative. We're, um, we're inventing things when, when we're in that space and, and that's how we survive on so many. And days. having the, the confidence to lose. Like I feel like the only people yeah. who look at losing negatively are people who just lack confidence in general. Like it, it really, they, I, they identify it with like this system of like winning and losing or first place, second place and third place. But like, I have confidence to lose. So yeah. like losing doesn't really mean that much to me, but it also fuels me to want to be able to do better. Cause I have, the, I, like I've lost enough, like in sports and, you know, just different situations in life where like, I'm at peace with that, that like, that's okay. Like I, I feel like playing sports groomed me into an aspect of losing and having peace and tranquility in that you know but if you have no system of losing where you just kind of show up like I would never have that peace and then how do you navigate the rest of your life because those transfers to me 
like they are big, you know, and, yes. you know, I look at like one, one memory of playing football is my first year of playing football. I think it was even within my first couple of practices, you know, Lethbridge, Southern Alberta, you know, we had one of the Calgary Stampeders Peters um, was one of our coaches and I ran the ball and I didn't run hard enough. And so he's just like, I'm going to teach you how to be able to run hard. And he says like, I'm going to teach you how to run hard until you choose to run hard. So that what he did, <laughs> no gear on, grabbed me by the back of the jersey. And like when we had the ball, I get the ball. And he ran with me. And obviously he could run faster. And he would just plow me into people. And he's like, this is how it's going to feel when you run hard. And I was just like, this is so brutal. And I'm like, and yeah. obviously this is super extreme, you know, but you know, I'm like, I'm crying, I'm banged up, I'm bruised up, and like, play after play, you just <laughs> yeah. run me into people, just like, stiff arm me into all these people, treat me like this little rag doll, but then I was like, after that, after I had a time to be able to process that, and like I said, I'm not encouraging people to do that, I know that it, no. yeah. but like, what I gained from that though, is I'm like, there's so much more effort, because after that, I'm like, this is that feeling that I need to feel when I hit hard, and I need to hit hard, to be successful at the job yeah. I've asked to do and what my team's relying yeah. on me to do. Yeah. And from that moment on, all I ever tried to do is feel that same feeling again. And that's Absolutely. what felt good. And that to me is like, you know, because that was yardage on the ball. That was touchdowns. That was, yeah. you know, that, that middle linebacker that came up at a coin toss and it was like, I'm going to fucking murder you this whole yeah. game. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, yeah. like if that's what it is. And then just like yeah. laying him out when he tries to hit me like, you know, improving yeah. my point, like those things felt good. Yeah. Help me excel and, you know, be able to be a part of my team being successful. But I couldn't imagine if like all that just didn't matter. Like what would right. be the point of when somebody handed me the yeah. ball to even put one foot in front of another, if like the yeah. didn't matter, you know, yeah. or like who cares? Like everybody yeah. just kind of like somebody said hut and the ball just went flying and trickling down behind us and nobody moved. Yeah. Like, no. that's what sports is with no yeah like there's no motivation absolutely. You to sit on the bench right yeah absolutely yeah even handball and before judo right it's like <laughs> yeah everything's a death match yeah but i think that's important um ex having that experience of this is how it should be done i think is also really key in the midst of um doing it incorrectly too right like i remember trying to learn this one takedown and i think um I had to do it like probably 75 times in a row, my poor like training partner until, until I finally felt what it should feel like, but putting yourself into that situation where, yeah, it's not like, it usually doesn't happen on the first time, but going back to, what we talked about before, like the reps in the reps in the reps in, and then finally you're going to experience, okay, this is what it should feel like. We're like, you know, you're talking about, I remember a drill, like I had a coach, like have this band around me and he's like, okay, run as fast as you can at resistance training, right? With the band and I'm sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. And then he lets go and I fly and he's like, this is what it feels like to be fast. I'm like, you know, <laughs> do I can to like get my legs to catch up with the rest of my body. But, but yeah, like having that experience of this is what it feels like to do it correctly or do it right or the best, whatever. Right. And then add the, yeah. yeah and that, that little bit more, right. You know, like, you know, I would, I probably never could hit as hard as like what he forced me to get hit hard. You could probably never run as fast as like what that band would force you to run. But it gave you that sense of like, this is that little bit extra. Like this is what it like. And we, we connect with that. Like that, that's what drives us. You know, like, like I couldn't imagine like when that, when that first person looked at that rocket, it, when they pushed it or kicked it or whatever they did and it kind of rolled a little bit. 
you know, just right. like kind of like the next side. And then they're just like scratch the old head and, you know, yeah. come back and they push a little bit harder. It might have went clunk, clunk, clunk. You know, it's like, yeah. mm. you know, there's kind of like chiseled that little bit of a rough edge off. And it's like, it rolls. Like, there's just like that, that push, that little bit extra, like that force yeah. of thought saying, like, how could I take this bar and just kind yeah. of make it a little bit better? Like, how can I yeah. push this bar like a little bit higher to, to achieve something so that, yeah. you know, not only I have something to work towards, but all the inspiration I'm going to offer to others. Absolutely. And I think, you know, everything really does come from within, but I think, you know, and even though the path is sometimes solitary, we're never really alone on the path. And I think having those training partners or having that coach or having that person who's, who's sort of there, like in our corner kind of idea um, is, is really awesome. Cause sometimes we, we feel like that's it. And, and they're like, no way you got way more in that tank and, and having that person encourage us or, or we're that person to someone else. Right. Where it's like, no way, like, come on, you got this. Right. And, and I think that's so like a hugely important part of, of life too. doing life with people is like, come on. And, um, and I know, you know, there's been times where I'm like, I got nothing left. Yes, you do. Let's go. <laughs> and, uh, having that voice, right. Like your coach. So cute. Like, so it's like that, all of that, that potential that for, whatever reason is in us but we just tapping into it we just avoid and but it's such a gratifying feeling like when you really like when you really really turn it on and you go and it's like that's that performance side of life that we all connect with especially as athletes Mm -hmm. when you know you're in your flow state or you know like that right frame of mind and everything's going your way and you're like this is it like this is what i love it Mm -hmm. you know why would we have that feeling if we were never supposed to tap into those resources, you know, but like what, what the discouragement is in life now is saying like, well, we know the body connects with these. It's like, say being in a fastened state, like there's some great metabolic processes that have that come into play from limiting your food intake, having no food for 24 or 48 hours. We know this is beneficial to the body. Our bodies wouldn't create these systems if we weren't supposed to utilize them. Right. Why change that? You know, like, mm-hmm. why go back on and say, like, well, it's taken hundreds of thousands of years to refine this system that we're living in now. But it's like, you know, us in Western culture, we always have to stand in the way and be like, no, no, no. I know in this moment that you're completely wrong. And I know how to be able to do it better. So let's do it this mm-hmm. way instead. Instead of like, you know, what the foundation of what we've been talking about this whole time, you know, mm-hmm. and a common reoccurrence is just like allowing ourselves to be out of our own way. And just, we can just tap into like what we connect with, you know, and like, not only do we want to stand in our own way, but so many people want to stand in the way of others too. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's just like, we all just can't just be like, you know, Mm -hmm. and where it's like, where's that flow state of mind? When it does it come in and how do I access that potential? Mm -hmm. You know, and no matter what category, it doesn't have to be athletics and it can be intellectual, it can be physical, Mm -hmm. it can be anything in between. You know, but like we just, we want it to be something different than what it is because I think it should be more complicated, but it's not, it's actually Mm -hmm. just really easy, but we want to create this system of complexity and spreadsheets Mm -hmm. and apps and all this kind of (laughs) junk where it's like, that's what it needs to be. Like, do we really need to wear special $300 watches to tell us to walk? Right, right, exactly. Like that blows my mind it's like yeah. <laughs> don't you just feel like you should go for a walk right. like there's that party right. that's just like yeah like like walk 
yeah. or drink water. Like, yeah, that, absolutely. Like, you know, like those guys, I, I find that to be shocking is that's where we've got in our world that you yeah. need, you know, notifications saying you, you haven't walked more than 50 steps in the last hour, get up and yeah. move around. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's our life. You know, we're taking that accountability yeah. out or like even like walking, like when's the app going to be, you need to take an extra breath. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah, it's just, it's crazy, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes like that's a big part of it is that when we're, we're looking externally for all these answers, we're looking for, um, you know, like everything out there and, and sometimes even like get into the trap of like, okay, like I'm looking for a coach to help me with this and, you know, a mentor to help me with this and a doctor to help me with this. And I'm looking all, all externally and, and really like everything's inside and, and just come to the place where it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm thirsty. I'm going to get up and get a drink. Like where, where, but we're so, um, distracted by the chatter, like you said, that, that we, whether it's outside or in here that we, we can't, we don't hear our own bodies and, and what we're, what we need, right. Whether it's to move or whether it's hydration or like nutrition or whatever it is. And I think, um, having an opportunity, like we talked about meditation where it like shuts down that chatter or we look inside for answers that, that can help us hopefully reconnect again. Right. Like, and you look at like all the, like the animals and, you know, any different kind of species of anything in this world, they're just, they're basically drawn to like a few fundamental things, like a community, a source mm-hmm. of water and a source of food. Like those are, so we look at like, realistically, those are probably the only three things that we actually need in life are those three things. The only people who aren't, or the only thing on this planet that isn't living by that system is us. And the only people in that system who aren't living, or the only people on this planet who aren't living by that system is us in Western culture. Mm -hmm. Because people in like, you know, third world scenarios still are living in that because they have to. And that's where like, you know, they say the, mental health issues in third world countries don't exist like what they do in Western culture, because there is those senses that people have to rely on each other. You know, some people get water, some people get food, you know, these people show love, these people take care of this. Mm -hmm. Like everybody has that sense of community where it's Mm -hmm. not the individualism of like what we have in Western culture, Mm -hmm. but it goes against the grain of like, you just have to look at how birds fly, you know, like look up in the sky or, you know, throw yeah. a Nat Geo and see like all the, you know, herds of, you know, buffaloes and elephants and like, where are they going? They're walking from food to water or water to food. Like that's, right. that's all it really is. And like, we're no yeah. different. We just polluted ourselves with all these other concepts and ideals of what life should actually really be like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you think we can get to that state where we can just be um, just more natural with who we are as human beings and uh my personal opinion on it is because we as a species seem to have um an extremely tough time with understanding change unless it's dramatic Mm. like you know like i can sit here and say well if you keep eating that 75 grams of sugar you're eating every day you're gonna have diabetes you're gonna die Right. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, oh, they're just a child. They can get away with it. Like, oh, sugar's okay to eat because you're 10. You know, like we did. And it's just like, well, well, no. How many more millions of people need to die from diabetes before you're like, maybe I should limit my sugar intake 
and I should limit the sugar intake I give to my children. Like these are just, it's like one example of like the hundred million that, you know, could be provided in this category. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but the only time that we've made changes is dramatic events. So like say world war two, for example, it changed the entire course of the world saying like, we need to make some changes as countries to make sure that this never happens again. Right. You know, either than that, if it never happened, like the face of the world would be very different than what it is today because it forced solidarity amongst countries when nothing else would have created that. It had to be dramatic. It had to be profound. And we just lived that on a more, um, a, like a smaller minute scale, you yeah. know, but as like society as, as a whole, like where I see it, I think the best thing that's going to come to our personal health and wellness is if that by 2040, that, the American federal budget actually has to get allocated all to uh, just Medicare costs, you know, mm -hmm. just like, you know, like what we talked about before. I can't remember if we were talking before the podcast or on this mm -hmm. about how, you know, by 2040, 100% of the federal budget in the United States, if the trends the same way it is now, all that money is going to be allocated just to Medicare costs, no military spending, no border security, no nothing. It's going to take something like that to wake people up and say, what we're doing actually is that bad. Like we can't mm -hmm. defend our country and, you know, like Canada may be protecting the United States. The United States may be asking for help from Mexico, you know, to say like, hey, we need resources from your military to be able to help control our borders because China's coming over or, you know, who knows? Like who knows what that may be. Um, and I think unfortunately, because of the way that we choose to live our lives and, kind of seems like what becomes like westernly accepted is just ignorance that people just don't want to change. And I see it continually all the time where, um, you know, where I see it and what, what affects me the most is, you know, when people are like, Oh, Blake, you know, like you could just have like a, like a cheeseburger for McDonald's every once in a while. It's not that big of a deal. And like, well, it actually really is like, I would rather be a part of the message of saying like, no, we don't need to because for one, I would rather make a hamburger at home. Yeah. I like my home cooked hamburgers far better than I like a McDonald's hamburger any day. Yeah. It's just how lazy do you want to be? Like that's right. really what it comes down to my mind. And plus, like I can go buy some good quality beef. You know, I'm not going to eat the bun anyway. I can make my own French fries. I can do all these yeah. things. I can have more control over that environment of food that's going to be healthy for me, except yeah. for like the imported from who knows where, like the the patties that are processed in China and shipped yeah. over here that we then make and then pump out. Like it's all yeah. those kind of things. Like when are we going to realize like, yes, like eating that chemical soaked food is that bad, you know, mm -hmm. and where I feel people are really starting to open up their eyes. And I, I really hope there's more examples of this that can come on in the, in the future is, you know, how women were encouraged. Um, oh, I can't think to, um, for uh, for breast cancer, like the mm -hmm. what they called like the the X-ray, why can't I think of the name right now? Um, that you go in to get like the breast scan to be able to see that if you have breast like cancer. Mam mammogram. Mammogram, yeah. yeah. Um, but now they know like that was causing so much of the breast cancer. Right. Like, so like this thing that even like you know you think we're doing is like like beneficial actually gave like probably a lot of women breast cancer because you're repeatedly exposed to this radiation. Right. And so it's like it's these kind of things where I think we need to stop and say okay, well like look. You know, we're meddling a little bit too much. It doesn't need to be that way. 
and look at if we made it up into a couple hundred years ago extremely successfully like yeah. we kind of need to maybe start going back to like where it once was and considering that we're really the only ones trying to do this because you know it's like eastern medicine is huge and it works very well and it works you know like you know in the amazon rainforest they don't have right. medicine like they're, they're right. using a lot of natural resources they have around them or you know ancient chinese medicine or things like mm -hmm. acupuncture and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. like these things they've been around that long for a reason and they right. do work and we we just we want to be told you know through like great marketing strategies from you know companies and this is a rant i go on like all the time about how i think it is like socially unjust and i cannot even understand why big food is allowed to have clinical psychologists work in their r d departments to make food that's unhealthy that literally kills people so addictive they can't not eat it i think mm -hmm. it is disgusting i think it's horrible mm -hmm. um i think that the the systems that we create in like the um the marketing that's allowed to be able to be pumped to the public about how oh you can yeah like you know have these high caffeinated drinks you know drink all of this like sugar filled stuff like eat all this it's like well no because the thing is that is also on top of like why not eat the oranges why not pump the fruit pump the peaches pump the like mm -hmm. the actual stuff that we can be to be able to be healthy that's actually food <laughs> actual food and like trans fats it's like well we know trans fats kill people at an alarmingly high rate but the government has given these companies three years to take trans fats out of their food. So he basically just says, it's okay to keep harming our public and our population because it's going to affect your bottom line and your profits for yeah. three years to be like, like, how disgusting is that? It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. You know, like this food is killing people and they just say like, it's okay for the next three years. But after yeah. that, it's not going to be okay anymore. If yeah. it's not okay in three years, it should not be okay today. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, even like, um, just in, in our own households where people are thinking, okay, well, unless I do some huge drastic thing, I, you know, nothing will really change, but I think that's a wrong mentality. I think just even doing like little things where, you know, if you're driving your car and you're going to change directions, you don't just all of a sudden change directions, you slow down, turn around, and then you accelerate. Right. And it's in a similar way. Yeah. You know what? Like take that one thing out of your diet or or stop going through that one drive through or start with, start with something. Because, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think sometimes like in that grind, right. Where it's just like, it's the day after day, after day, after day, do the small thing day after day, after day. And, and like in all the things we talked about, it's like the, those reps that will make a difference, right. Of the reps of not having the sugar, the reps of like, whatever it is that you're trying to make a difference in. And, 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 it, and it is, it, it, it exactly is that in not looking at it, that it is temporary or it's bad, or I'm restricting yeah. myself for that. You know, I should like, I posted a picture on Facebook the other day about the, one of my clients, um, you know, is her birthday cake. And I just took a picture. I'm like, should I have a slice? And everybody's like, you know, you work out hard enough, you know, like you can get away with it. I'm sure you burnt more calories and, you know, just like, Oh, live a little, like all these typical like comments that I knew that would ensue. They're just the typical chatter that always comes up there. But to me, like, that's the problem. Like, it, like, no, it doesn't matter that I, you know, I did a 45 minute spin class that day, played squash for 45 minutes and I lifted weights for almost an hour. But like, yeah, the offset of calories, maybe, but that's, that's the wrong way to be thinking about it. It's like, mm -hmm. I look at, okay, well, yeah, I might be able to consume those calories, but you know, like the detriment to my body, like my healthy gut biome, you know, like 
the bacteria crawling up on like my colon into my intestine that wants to eat that sugar, how it becomes that sugar makes my, you know, like my body ATP blocking. So I'm not going to be able to produce it and, you know, utilize the ATP that my body is wanting to make efficiently. Like all of these spin-off effects, that's the way that I look at it, which is a lot more of a rabbit hole than what most people are going to mm-hmm. look at it. But like, these are the problems where like, it's this, it's this surface mentality. It's this sky high 30,000 foot view of what people are like looking at it because it's not just that cake that one day, you know, and then it's probably yeah. the glass of wine, you know, at the end of the day when you get home and then it's probably this, that, and the next thing. It's just, mm-hmm. if it was that one piece of cake, yeah, maybe, but it's not. And it never is. And that's mm-hmm. a part of the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like, I remember having this um, number of years back that I was called my lemon pie moment where it was like, you know, I struggled like that. And I was going through this whole thing of like, um, you know, it was like some, it was, or something like that right and it was like okay there's some pie there and I really want it but I know it's not I'm not going to feel good and I don't really want it and this struggle back and forth and then it was like this moment of like go ahead like you can have it and and as soon as that happened it was like well actually I don't really want it like there's no power in it there's no power in it right and it's really just about like what end result do you want like do you want to be able to perform at this level do you want to like be able to stay alive for this long like then which path do you want then it's it makes it easier to make those decisions where it's like and all the times that like you know we choose to eat that pie or eat that cake or those donuts like the the trade-off realistically can be that you know like you know in 20 years 30 years or 15 years whatever it may be you know i'm going to trade that donut for you know like this one cc insulin syringe this blood glucose monitor and, you know, like multiple trips to the doctor, like that legitimately is the trade-off, but everybody doesn't want to think that, that that's what's good. It's like, no, that's not going to happen to me, but we have this baby boomer population that it's happening to and has happened to because they live the same way with less accessibility when they were younger, like what we have the overall accessibility now, and they're living with those problems. Mm-hmm. So like if we've hyper accelerated that environment, you know, to get those diseases but we still think it's not going to happen to us but when Mm -hmm. we have this huge population that it's happening to right now Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so really interesting so um this is like an incredibly big rabbit hole that we can keep on working (laughs) down up but we'll we'll probably wrap it up there and but i what i want you to do is you know just give some shout outs to the the martial arts studio and you know like website social media links like the whole bit like drop it in there how do people find you how can they connect with you guys um, and just anything that you want to throw out there, feel free. This is your time. Oh, yay. Well, thank you so much. It was such a privilege and honor to be part of this show. And uh, so, um, so cool to chat with you about all the different topics that we did. Um, so again, I can't um, thank the people in my life enough. My family, of course, Peter, Mike, Emily, and um, of course, all my siblings, Um Thanks, Joe, for connecting me with you. And uh, and then Tri-City Training is where I work with uh, Tom Keiko. And then, of course, CC Kobukan Judo and Jiu-Jitsu Club um, is where the judo happens. And, uh, yeah, so thanks to do they, all my friends. Do they have Facebook pages, Instagram? They uh, do. Instagram. They do. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Throw them out there. Um, I will. Can I send then- them to you? Yeah, you can send them to me if you want to, if you have the, the links, you can just verbally shout it out there right now if you want, just so people have, have a reference field to go back to too, if you want. 
Okay, sure. So just tricitytraining.ca is the, is, uh, the website and all the social media links are on there. Okay. And then, uh, yeah. And then Kobukon Sisu, S-I-S-U, Judo and Jiu-Jitsu Club in Guelph, Ontario. And uh, you can check them out and their website will also um, uh, direct to all the social media uh, links as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate you being on WeRI, and I know that everybody's going to love this conversation just as much as I did. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day.